My beloved brothers and sisters and friends, <clears throat> I invite you to join with me in a prayer that I may enjoy the Spirit of the Lord while I speak and that you may enjoy it while you listen. I'm going to talk about some of the, the very fundamentals of the gospel of Jesus Christ of great importance, and I will use considerable scripture, which we'll have to have the Spirit to help us in appreciate. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints affirms as its third article of faith, we believe that through the atonement of Christ all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. In these remarks I shall set forth some views of the Church of Jesus Christ on this subject. Saved, as here used, means resurrected and returned as a sanctified, celestialized, immortal soul to the presence and the society of God, there to pursue an endless course of eternal progress. To get a glimpse of what this means, requires a knowledge of the nature and form of God and of man and their relationship to each other. Man is a soul, that is, a dual being, a spirit person clothed in a tangible body of flesh and bones. God is a perfected, saved soul, enjoying eternal life. He is both immortal and exalted to the highest glory. He is enjoying that blessed condition which men may attain to by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. The Almighty is not alone in his eternal glory. Myriads of saved souls enjoy his society. Family relationships prevail there. Spirit offspring are born there. Our spirits were born there. Modern revelation affirms that fact that all the inhabitants of the worlds are begotten sons and daughters unto God. God, our Heavenly Father, is in fact and reality the father of our spirits. We are his offspring, as, saw, as Paul declared in his great speech on Mars Hill. God is an immortal soul. Man is not yet an immortal soul. He is a human, mortal soul, subject to death. Man's body will, upon death, return to the earth from whence it sprang, and the spirit of man, what happens to it? Many people have pondered this all-important question. Shakespeare raised and commented upon it in his, when he put into the mouth of Hamlet his famous to be or not to be speech. To be or not to be, that is the question to die, to sleep, and by a sleep to say we end the heartaches and the thousand natural shocks 
that flesh is heir to, tis a consummation devoutly to be wished to die, to sleep, to sleep, perchance to dream, aye, there is the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal soil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of disprized love, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes when he his, his quietus might take with a bare bodkin. Who would fardels bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, that undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. Well, Shakespeare in these lines dramatically poses the question as to what happens to man's spirit after death, but he leaves it unanswered. He did not know that the Lord had given a direct answer to the question. About 75 years B.C., there lived in America a prophet by the name of Alma who was so concerned about what happens to the souls of men after death that he sought the Lord in prayer with such mighty faith that the Lord sent an angel to reveal it to him. That the Spirit, to reveal to him that the spirits of all men, as soon as they are departed from this mortal body, are taken home to that God who gave them life. And then it shall come to pass that the spirits of those who were righteous are received into a state of happiness, which is called paradise, a state of rest, a state of peace, where they shall rest from all their troubles and from all care and sorrow. And then it shall come to pass that the spirits of the wicked shall be cast out into outer darkness. This is the state of the souls of the wicked, in darkness and a state of awful, fearful, looking for the fiery indignation of the wrath of God upon them. Thus they remain in this state, as well as the righteous in paradise until the time of the resurrection. The Church accepts this scripture as a statement of fact. These words of Alma presume a literal, universal resurrection, such as declared by Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The Church believes the scriptural doctrine that Jesus Christ, through his victory over death, 
opened the grave for himself not only, but for all mankind. It believes that the resurrection is an indispensable step on the way to salvation. The Church also accepts the scriptural doctrine that following the resurrection, each person, then an immortal soul, will be arraigned before the bar of God's justice and receive a final judgment based on his performance during his mortal probation, that the verdict will turn on obedience or disobedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. If these laws and ordinances have been complied with during mortal life, the candidate will be cleansed from the stain of sin by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ and be saved in the celestial kingdom of God, there to enjoy with God eternal life. Those who have not complied with the laws and ordinances of the gospel will receive a lesser reward. Alma speaks of this final judgment as follows. And then shall the righteous shine forth in the kingdom of God, but behold, an awful death cometh upon the wicked, and they drink the dregs of a bitter cup. In about 550 B.C., an earlier American prophet treated this whole subject of how, through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel in such a masterful fashion that I have chosen to conclude these remarks with a rather long quotation from his record. It will take about six minutes to listen to it, but it will be well worth our time. The reward for understanding and implementing what I will read will be eternal life, the greatest of all the gifts of God. Addressing his brethren, he said, I know that ye have searched much, many of you, to know the things of God. Wherefore I know that you know that our flesh must waste away and die. Nevertheless, in our bodies we shall see God. I know that ye know that in the body he shall show himself unto those in Jerusalem. He was talking, as I said, some nearly 600 years B.C. He will show himself to those at Jerusalem from whence we came, for it is expedient that it should be among them, for it behoveth the great Creator that he suffereth himself to become subject unto man in the flesh, and die for all men, that all men might become subject unto him. For as death hath passed upon all men, 
to fulfill the merciful plan of the great Creator, there must needs be a power of resurrection. And the resurrection must needs come unto man by reason of the fall. And the fall came by reason of transgression. And because man became fallen, they were cut off from the presence of God. Wherefore, it, meaning the atonement which Christ was to make for man's transgressions, it must needs be an infinite atonement. For save it should be an infinite atonement, this corruption could not put on incorruption. Wherefore, the first judgment which came upon man must needs have remained to an endless duration. And if so, the flesh must have laid down in the t to rot and to crumble to its mother earth to rise no more. Oh, the wisdom of God, his mercy and grace. For behold, if the flesh should rise no more, our spirits must become subject to that angel who fell from before the presence of the eternal God and became the devil to rise no more. And our spirits must have become like unto him, and we become devils, angels to a devil, to be shut out from the presence of our God and to remain with the father of lies in misery like unto himself. And because of the way of deliverance of our God, the Holy One of Israel, death, which is temporal, shall deliver up its dead, which death is the grave, and death, which is spiritual, shall deliver up its death, dead, which spiritual death is hell. That's an interesting definition. To be shut off from the presence of God is literally hell. Which spiritual death is hell? Wherefore death and hell must deliver up their dead, and hell must deliver up its captive spirits, and the grave must deliver up its captive bodies, and the bodies and the spirits of men shall be restored one to the other, and it is by the power of the resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. Oh, how great the plan of our God. For the spirit and the body is restored to itself again, and all men become incorruptible and immortal, and they are living souls, having a perfect knowledge like unto us in the flesh, save it be that our knowledge shall be perfect. Wherefore, we shall have a perfect knowledge of all our guilt and uncleanness and our nakedness, and the righteous shall have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment and their righteousness, being clothed with purity, yea, even with the robe of righteousness. 
And it shall come to pass that when all men shall have been have passed from this first death unto life, insomuch that they have become immortal, they must appear before the judgment seat of the Holy One of Israel, and then cometh the judgment. And then must they be judged according to the holy judgment of God. And assuredly as the Lord liveth, they who are righteous shall be righteous still, and they who are filthy shall be filthy still. And their torment is as a lake of fire and brimstone, whose flame ascendeth up forever and ever, and has no end. But behold the righteous, the saints of the Holy One of Israel, they who have believed in the Holy One of Israel, they who have endured the crosses of the world and despised the shame of it, they shall inherit the kingdom of God, which was prepared for them from the foundation of the world. And their joy shall be full forever. Oh, the greatness of the mercy of our God, the Holy One of Israel. For he delivereth the saints from that awful monster, the devil and death and hell, and that lake of fire and brimstone, which is endless torment. Oh, how great the holiness of our God. And he cometh into the world that he may save all men if they will hearken unto his voice. For behold, he suffereth the pains of all men, yea, the pains of every living creature, both men, women, and children, who belong to the family of Adam. And he suffereth this, that the resurrection might pass upon all men, that all men might stand before him at the great and judgment day. And he commandeth all men that they must repent and be baptized in his name, having perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel, or they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. On the other hand, those who will repent and believe in his name and be baptized in his name and endure to the end shall be saved. Such, my beloved brothers and sisters and friends, is the way prescribed by the Lord in which all may obey the laws and ordinances of the gospel and thereby be saved through the atonement of Christ. I bear you my personal <coughs> witness to the truth of these teachings and to the further fact that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is Christ's Church, established, endowed with authority, and, by, and commissioned by him to teach and administer the saving principles and ordinances of his gospel to all mankind. In all humility, kindness, love, and sincerity, we invite you to carefully listen 
to and and our message, if you will do so, you shall receive a like witness and be on your way to salvation, to being saved in the kingdom of God, that it may be so with all of us. I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. My beloved brothers and sisters, I'm grateful for this opportunity and for the spirit of the testimonies that have been born here this morning. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was passing through the Salt Lake Airport and had a less than five-minute contact with a young man that impressed me very much. During our brief contact, he found out about my affiliation with the Church. He found out that the yellow pad that I had in my hand was in preparation for some thoughts to give at the Saturday morning session of General Conference, and I observed a very ten- a, a tenderness between him and his wife and his three children, and I knew that he was a man with deep spiritual sensitivity. But having only three or four minutes to chat, and as I boarded my aircraft, I discovered that I didn't know his name. I didn't have his address, but I want you to know that much of what I say this morning is because I know he's listening to this particular session of conference. And we're met here this morning, hopefully, that we might communicate well about the Lord Jesus Christ, because incorporated in his precious teachings are the most urgent, the most important, and the most vital of all information pertaining to the ultimate happiness and eternal destiny of man. I earnestly seek his divine help and guidance that the intent of my heart will not be misunderstood, and perhaps our communication can be like the prophet Isaiah when he said, Come now and let us reason together. And this for one purpose only, that we might all be blessed more abundantly. As I proceed now to share these few thoughts with you, I declare with the Apostle Paul as he taught the saints of Rome, I am ready to preach the gospel to you, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And then he concluded, It is the power of God to everyone that believeth. And I promise you, that the Holy Ghost stands ever ready to bear witness to all who earnestly seek the truth, that they might recognize that truth. A Protestant minister who was somewhat perturbed about losing some of his parishioners to the Mormon Church asked one of our missionaries, Why do you proselyte amongst my people? They are all good Christians. You should be spending your time with the heathen nations. And the reply came, If you, sir, knew for certain that God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, had shown themselves and spoken again in this time of the world's history, restoring vital information and also restoring true priesthood authority to man, would you be able to remain silent? No man could. And so it is with some 18,000 young men and young women throughout the world today who seek the singular privilege of sharing with as many as will pause to listen 
that in very deed God the Father and His Son did appear to a young lad in this day and age, all of which was preliminary to the second coming of the Lord and Savior, as foretold by the prophets. These same missionaries proclaimed to the world that following this remarkable visitation by two members of the Godhead, priesthood authority was restored to the earth through special heavenly messengers. Who else but John the Baptist would be better qualified for the honor of restoring the Aaronic priesthood, the authority to baptize by immersion, for it was he whom the Savior sought out when the Savior felt the need to establish the example of baptism by immersion and by proper authority. Who else but the apostles Peter, James, and John would be more appropriate or better qualified to restore the Melchizedek priesthood just a few weeks later? Yes, those same great apostles who walked and talked with the Savior during his brief ministry returned to earth for a specific purpose in our time. Yes, with all of the soberness of my soul, I declare that God's house is a house of order. His holy purposes are not carried out by man's whim or fancy, but rather in this Church which bears His name, sacred ordinances can only be performed by proper authority. We agree with Paul that no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Priesthood authority of the Lord Jesus Christ was restored by John the Baptist, by Peter, James, and John in the spring of 1829. Since the establishment of the Lord's Two Church 144 years ago, there has been a driving compulsion among the members of the Church to share their good feeling with their neighbors, with their friends, and abroad. Every member of missionary has become a byword in this Church as thousands can be found throughout the free world, bearing witness, explaining the Restoration, and radiating the Spirit of Christ unto all who will listen. Words can hardly convey the joy and the fulfillment that accompanies conversion to the truth, all made possible by the miracle of forgiveness as repentance paves the way for baptism. May I invite you to participate on a rapid world tour as we glimpse quickly at just a sample or two of what is happening everywhere as this great Latter-day missionary momentum rolls forth. I am thinking, first of all, of a South Pacific family, a family of fourteen whose family unit had been so badly broken through parental indifference and irresponsible acts that four of the older children were in reform school and three youngsters were in foster home custody. Today you will find a solid family unit headed by parents who have goals, proper discipline, and great love for their children who had been sealed to them for eternity in the temple of God. The two oldest boys are full-time missionaries striving to bring the same hope to many others. All of this because a desperate father contemplating suicide Listen to two young men, one nineteen, the other twenty, and he believed what they told him. Not long ago I listened to this testimony from a black man nearing the end of a long prison sentence. I found the truth behind these prison bars, he said. There has been plenty of time to study and to think. 
And my one ambition now is to qualify for baptism after my debt to society has been paid and then go back home to Mississippi to tell my people about this great church. While winging across the South Pacific, an airline stewardess asked me and my wife if we were Mormons after our third serving of milk. And, <laughs> and receiving a positive answer, she said with a radiance we shall never forget, I can hardly wait to get back to California after this trip because I am scheduled for the third discussion from the missionaries and I already know that the work is true. Yes, she was baptized. She found a young man to match her faith. They have a beautiful little family. They're on their way. May I introduce you to a successful young executive who writes, and I quote him, Our family had it made. My wife and I were close. The three children were well-adjusted. And then it happened. Jeff and Angela started to attend primary with the neighbors. From then on, each primary day, our dinner hour became an instant replay of primary. <laughs> As parents, we couldn't believe the great thoughts and attitudes. Yes, and a little child shall lead them. Well, that was the beginning, he writes. And now, after two years, as members of the Lord's true church, we really do have it made. Our family didn't really know what family unity and true happiness was. We didn't know what it was all about until Mormonism came into our family circle. One woman in a South American country, intrigued by the sincerity of the Mormon missionaries, invited them back to meet the family that evening. But unfortunately, her husband did not share her feelings, and the young men were greeted by a note on the door turning them away. She fasted and prayed that the Lord might intercede. And you know it was just about six weeks later that the husband told her about two fine young men he had met on the bus coming home. He arranged for them to share their message with the family, and all six were baptized. And it was not until then that the wife explained that these were the two same young men whom she had tried to introduce him to earlier. <laughs> God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. Now most people agree that Mormons are happy people. And I think you'll find that most people agree that Mormons are stable people and Mormons are dedicated people. Mormons are trustworthy people. And Mormons are healthy people. And yet I hear you saying, Ah, but I know a Mormon who does thus and so. My testimony to you today is that if you know a Mormon who is doing wrong, it is not because of his religious teachings. It is in spite of his religious teachings. And we sincerely hope that he will repent soon, for where much has been given, much is expected. Try me and see, says the Lord. Whether your life be racked with profound problems or whether you think you have it made, I declare with total confidence that your life can only find genuine and lasting fulfillment in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. Why not use the same formula suggested by the Savior to test the truth of his Church? My witness to you here today is the same as his declaration to a group of well-meaning critics 2,000 years ago when he said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. I declare in all kindness and sincerity that your eternal life and the salvation of your family depends upon what happened in the life 
of Joseph Smith, a prophet of God. May you find out soon is my humble prayer. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. My beloved brothers and sisters, I'm sure we all echoed with the choir, thanks be to God for the opportunity we have to be gathered today under the direction of a prophet, Spencer W. Kimball. My family and I have recently returned from Virginia, where it has been my great privilege to preside over a mission of the Church for the past three years. Observing the diligence and faith of the missionaries has brought me a greater realization of the blessings that accompany those who continue to serve the Lord in righteousness. I am grateful to the Lord for the calling I now have, which permits me to continue to serve in missionary service. This privilege has been even more keenly felt uh, when one of my recently returned missionaries confided in me a dilemma at returning home. This fine young man had served well his entire mission. He had demonstrated faith and courage under difficult circumstances. Now he faces the challenge of maintaining his missionary zeal and spirit in the surroundings of home where more subtle opposition may exist. After telling me what a great family he had and how well they had supported him during his missionary service, he posed a problem. He said, The only big thing that's really bothering me about being home and being around the family is that my family is one that likes to do a lot of hunting. Now, that used to be a great thing for me, but now it is a lot different, mainly because it means the family will be expecting me to go hunting with them on Sunday. So I'm faced with a big decision right off the bat. I really don't want to go hunting on Sunday but I don't want to upset my family because of it. Any counsel would surely be appreciated. He went on to assure me that he knew his family did not desire nor intend to ask him to do wrong. Hunting was just a long-standing family activity. The counsel I would give to my missionary and to others who may be faced with the decision to continue or not to continue a righteous course is to recall the experience of Oliver Cowdery. Oliver had begun his labors in the kingdom with faithful and humble service. The Lord rewarded him by giving him the gift of translation. He told Oliver of a marvelous contribution he could make toward enlightening the people if he would continue to trans- continue faithfully in his efforts. Later, when Oliver attempted to translate, he failed. The Lord told Oliver, It was because that you did not continue as you commenced. Oliver had not continued in his righteous efforts, and the gift was taken from him. Simply stated, the Lord's counsel to one who has commenced properly and faithfully is continue as you have commenced. We could follow the example of Nephi, a son of Helaman, who, after laboring diligently to teach and live righteously, had decided to give up and return home because the people refused to accept his counsel and to repent. As he approached his home, the voice of the Lord came to him, 
the Lord reminded Nephi of the blessings that would result from the unwearyingness with which he had labored and taught the people and with which he had kept the commandments of God. With renewed vigor and determination, Nephi returned from his home and returned to his labor to continue as he had commenced. There is also an enlightening experience which Enos had. He helps us to understand the blessing of building upon and following the teachings of righteous parents. Enos described his father as a just man, for he taught me in his language and also in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the words which I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart. The continual teachings of a just father caused Enos' soul to hunger, and he went before the Lord in mighty prayer and supplication for his own soul. Enos had also learned the value of continuing in righteousness, for he tells us that he prayed all the day long. And when the night came, I did still raise my voice high that it reached the heavens. His continuous and fervent humble prayer resulted in a marvelous declaration from on high. And there came a voice unto me, saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. Enos had built upon the righteous teachings of his father. as a base for his own search for the Lord. He had continued as he commenced. To continue means more than to endure or to tolerate something. It means to maintain a steady course of action with unshaken faith in Christ. It means to be a true follower of Christ. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. To continue means to press forward. And now, my beloved brethren, after ye have gotten into this straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for ye have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Wherefore, ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ and endure to the end, Behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. To continue in righteousness takes personal courage and strength of commitment. We must recognize that there is an opposing force to that which is right. Sometimes hardships come our way, or fatigue dims our vision in decision-making. It may be a selfish motive or a carnal desire that needs to be overcome before we can continue. In every situation, however, the answer which leads to happiness is to press forward. 
President Kimball has assured us that when we have done all we can do in a situation, the Lord will find a way to open doors. A pair of lady missionaries spent an entire week striving to open the doors of people's hearts in a small town. They met rejection and ridicule at almost every door. After a particularly difficult day, they returned to their apartment <clears throat> dejected and tired. They were not sure they could continue in the face of such opposition. After much discussion and prayer, they retired for the night, determined that on the morrow they would return once more to their area to continue their labors. The next morning they pleaded again with the Lord for strength to overcome the challenges of the day. That day, nearly every family they called on welcomed their message. The Lord blessed their continued efforts with faith and opened the doors of the hearts to the message of restoration. A home teacher continued faithfully to to visit a certain family for seven years before the father in that home responded to the invitation to become actively involved in the Church. One young husband decided to find out for himself if the Book of Mormon were true. He had observed the uplifting changes brought into the lives of his wife and children who had joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints six years previously. He obtained a copy of the Book of Mormon and began reading. At first he felt nothing, but he continued to read. He remembered that he should pray as he read. That was the counsel the missionaries had given. For the next six evenings he continued to read and to pray. He continued to plead with the Lord to let him know the truths contained in these scriptures. Two more evenings he continued, and then a deeply spiritual experience began to unfold. He found himself listening as he read. It was as though he were hearing the characters in the story speak rather than verbalizing the printed word himself. He continued to pray and to study. At the close of the tenth evening, he stated that he was now hearing the voices of the characters and feeling the spirit of their messages. His continued effort brought him near to the Lord in his search for truth. He then received the testimony the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. A noble wife continued for 37 years to teach her children to honor their father, for she promised that he would one day honor his priesthood. This promise was realized, and he became a diligent and faithful follower of the Lord. Our faithful pioneers sang, Press on, press on, as they continued their difficult and trying journey to Utah. The youth of the Church today Sing, carry on, carry on in the face of modern trials. There are many, many examples of those who have received blessings through continuing in righteousness. There are also numberless examples of those who have been denied the Lord's blessings because they turn from righteous paths and do, do that which is wrong. May the Lord bless each of us with the strength courage, and faith to continue what we commence in righteousness. I testify to you that God lives. May we each follow the counsel of the Lord to continue in righteousness ourselves. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.